Thank you. Okay. doesn't make me feel lonely at all that you sit way back there, although there's a, a few people closer. That's, that's not bad. Well, today we're going to talk about Miriam. We're, um, we're kind of in the middle of this little mini-series since I'm going to be gone in the middle of, of the Lenten season. Uh, I, I'm doing two weeks now, and then I do one more week after I get back, and then we go right into Easter. So Palm Sunday and Easter happen right after that. And we're going to preach about those things at that time, right? Palm. You can't really have Palm Sunday without preaching about um, the triumphal entry, so we're going to stick to that. Kind of seems like it's, you know, important. And then uh, the Sunday after that, we're going to preach about Easter because, yeah, it's Easter, so we're going to stick to that. Um, but in in between, there was only I only had three Sundays, and then we have Tina who's coming. So it was like I needed to find something that we could talk about. We still want to talk about our. Uh, primary focus, which is the gospel every single week, but I wanted to kind of take us back through, since we talked for a little bit earlier this year about what happened in the garden, and then we talked about what happened when Jesus came, I thought maybe we should cover some of the stuff that happened in between, and so one of the ways to do that, last week we talked about Hagar, Hagar was important to um, the story of how things happen with Abram and Sarai and that continuing story there. And now this week, we're going to talk about Miriam. And so I would ask you to turn in your Bibles. By the way, I've named this little mini-series um, Wilderness Women of the Old Testament. Um, in case you were wondering, uh, all of these women have a little bit of wilderness um, in them. So it's just a, a fun title for, uh, for a little bitty series of stuff. But anyway, if you would turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 12, and we're going to start reading from verse 4 to verse 16. Actually, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out of the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease, and he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. 
Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. Let us pray. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Articulate your heart through my voice to your people. Let the transformation of our lives be wrought thoroughly by the Holy Spirit in response to your truth. In this Lenten season and always, let us faithfully remember the sacrifice you made on our behalf to draw us to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I am an oldest child. In fact, I am the oldest of four children. I have two sisters and a brother, and we are all two years apart. If you can imagine four children um, who are two years apart, and me as their eldest sibling, I am very strong-willed and kind of loud, and uh, we fought a lot. Um, for those of you who are only children, I'm sorry that you don't understand this concept, but this is how multiple children in a single house operate. We're mean to each other. That's really the truth. Um, and it, I now, as a parent, I understand more how this was really challenging for my parents, um, but recently on TV shows and stuff, we've seen these episodes where they've talked about, um, well, you know, when I'm gone, you two, talking to a brother and a sister, you're the closest relative each other has, and you're all you'll have, and you should love each other, and, and blah, 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 and siblings don't listen. So I say all of that to say that um, we... The four of us, my siblings and I, and possibly, probably, you and your siblings, did not get called by God to lead a million people across the desert into a wilderness place. But that's exactly what happened to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. You see, if we talk a little bit about Miriam's story, Miriam is the one who, when her brother was born, Moses was born, there was a decree out from Pharaoh who said, uh, no more boy, baby, Jews, because this is getting a little concerning. You see, the Egyptians had taken the Jewish people, they had moved willingly to Egypt and been initially loved by the Egyptians because one of their own had saved them from famine. But over time, they began to be uh, turned into slaves. Things changed a little bit. And so the Jewish people were now slaves of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were like, hey, wait a minute. If we keep letting these people have little boys, eventually they're going to figure out that there's enough of them they can overthrow us. That's not going to work. <laughs> so the Pharaoh said, okay, no more Jewish boys. 
And they were pretty nasty about it. They said uh, to the midwives, if a Jewish mom has a little boy, you know, kill it. And the midwives didn't do that. They said, well, you know, these Hebrew women, man, they just give birth like that. We can't get there quick enough. So there was all this stuff happening. Well, into this, Moses is born. And Moses is a Hebrew boy. And Miriam, his older sister, takes him down to the river after they've tried to keep him hidden for about three months. They take him down to the river and um, they're going to set him loose on the river in a basket made of reeds. So a little basket, they've made it. And Miriam sets her little brother down and puts him in the water. And as Moses is going, Pharaoh's daughter comes. Now, Pharaoh is like the king of Egypt, and his daughter then is like a princess of Egypt, and she comes down to the water to bathe. She doesn't come by herself. Oh my goodness. She comes down with a whole entourage of people, and then she washes herself in the Nile. And as she's doing that, she sees this baby float by in a basket. And scripture actually tells us that Moses was really cute as a baby. If you ever wanted to know if, if people paid attention to whether or not babies were cute or whatever, um, scripture tells us that Moses was definitely a cute baby. Okay? Now, most three-month-old babies are just cute anyway, so it would be hard to see if, if one was not cute, but um, I, just think it, I just think it's really interesting that the Bible is very clear to point out to us that Moses was handsome. He is a cute baby. He grows up to be a cute guy. In any case, she sees this baby, and Miriam runs up and says, Hey, I've got just the person for you to take care of this baby for a couple of years so that um, he can, you know, he can be fed and taken care of while he's still, you know, this helpless little infant. And Pharaoh's daughter agrees, and so Miriam takes Moses back to her mom, and so for a period of time, they're raised together. And then Moses goes and lives in the palace. Now Miriam is about hmm, maybe seven, eight, probably maybe closer to 10 years old, older than Moses. So Moses goes and lives in the palace. Moses gets all the education as though he were the grandson of the Pharaoh. And it's really important that we understand that because that's part of the reason why he was the one who was ultimately selected to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt because he had this depth of knowledge that most Israelites didn't have because they were slaves. They weren't given educations. It's also important to note that it's really likely that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, those books. Um, so when uh, there's an aside there in that Numbers text where Moses says, where it's written that Moses was the most humble of all people ever. 
Um, Moses wrote that. So I don't know what that means exactly. Just wanted to kind of point that out. But in, but in any case, so, so Miriam has already rescued her brother once when she was little. Well, then Moses grows up. Moses gets to be about 40. And he goes out into the world. And now he's all of a sudden decided that um, he doesn't like the way his people have been treated. And he sees one of them getting mistreated, and so he kills the Egyptian who's mistreating this Israelite and buries the body. And he thinks he's gotten away with it initially and then realizes that that's not true, and he runs away. And Moses runs away, and he gets married, and... Time passes. Now think about this. So when this all happens, when Moses murders the Egyptian, Moses is 40. That means Miriam is like 50. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this because I want you to keep up with how this progresses. Then... Uh, Moses is out in the desert, out in the wilderness, and he encounters a burning bush. And the burning bush tells him that he's going to go and rescue the children of Israel from Egypt. And he's like, well, I have a stutter, or I, I can't talk, and God, really, you could just like pick anybody else. And God has this dialogue with Moses and finally God says, look, if you're really that annoyingly insecure about this, even though I've told you specifically that you can do this, um, your brother Aaron, grab him and he'll, he'll go with you. Okay, so Aaron is the middle boy. Aaron is between Miriam and Moses. So Aaron comes, they go, a bunch of plagues happen, right? Moses is 80 years old at this point, okay? I, I want you to keep up with this because he's been gone for 40 years. He was 40 years old when he ran away. He's been gone for 40 years. Now he comes back to Egypt. He is 80 years old. That means Aaron is about 85 and Miriam is about 90. Okay, this is, this is the trifecta. This is the three people that God has chosen to lead his people out of Egypt. An 80-year-old, an 85-year-old, and a 90-year-old siblings. Okay? So they take them out. They cross the Red Sea because God miraculously parts it. They get to the other side. And... Moses and Miriam lead the people in worship. They sing praise to God. And in that moment, Miriam is the first person called a prophet in all of scripture. Miriam is named as a prophet. Not only the first person, but she is a woman named as a prophet in scripture. It's a big deal in a society that's entirely patriarchal. 
God gives them the law. The children of Israel are living in the wilderness. And at some point, Aaron and Miriam decide that Moses has gotten too big for his britches. Now they frame it, this is really fun, they frame it as a criticism of, of his wife, right? I can, I can almost see this. I, I picture this as like, you know, southern women. Oh my goodness. Did you all see who Moses married? Bless her heart. Just bless her heart. I just think Moses has maybe gotten a little bit too, too big for his britches. Right? Bless his heart. Now, it doesn't say that Miriam and Aaron take this anywhere else but to each other, that they just talk, start talking about it to each other. And God says, oh, no, you did not. No, you didn't. Right? And he calls them out on it, and he calls them out, and he, and he says, hey, you're wrong. You're right. I have called you prophets, but let me tell you something. When I call you a prophet, I come to you in visions and dreams. When I come to Moses, we sit down and have a conversation. See, you're wrong about Moses. Moses isn't too big for his britches. Y'all are too big for your britches. And now, this is the time when under the law... There are penalties for this kind of thing. And one of the reasons why we read so much detail about this, this event, I believe, in Miriam's life, in the life of the children of Israel, is because God wants to make a very clear point. When you determine that God has done something incorrect, like he's made an invalid decision, right? Because that's really what they're doing here a little bit. They're saying, well, God, really, Moses isn't the right choice, right? And when you do that, God says, I reserve the right to say to you that's not how it works. And God punishes Miriam because Miriam's the instigator, and he gives her leprosy. Now, we know leprosy to mean, it's not necessarily leprosy the way that we understand leprosy as a specific disease, but it's more of a skin condition of some kind. And God had given them rules about what would happen with people who had skin diseases because they didn't have antibiotics and medicines to cover those things. So they needed to protect the people. So just like when nowadays everybody's like, hey, get your flu vaccine, hey, do the fist bump, you know, instead, wash your hands. Those were things they didn't necessarily know. So instead, to protect the people, God said, separate them for so many days. 
Now, ordinarily, when they would put somebody outside of camp, they would just keep moving along because they had about a million people they were moving through the, through the desert. So they would just pack up things and keep moving. But you see, Miriam was pretty well respected in this community. And so they stayed put for seven days while she was outside of the camp. And then they moved along. Says that she was probably healed immediately, but she had to wait the seven days in order to regain her status as not being unclean. So what does all of this say to us? Because, I mean, God doesn't, like, give us leprosy when we disobey him or when we try to be snarky. If that happened... I don't know of too many people that would be walking around without a skin disease nowadays. I mean, have you read the Facebook posts? Right? Well, that's because that's not how God deals with sin anymore. God deals with sin by putting it on Jesus. That's the difference, right? Jesus took our sin for us and has made it so that we don't have to live outside the camp for seven days. We actually get to uh, repent, and God works that way. But we can learn from Miriam this. When God makes a decision or determines how something's going to work, it probably seems we shouldn't necessarily question how God is doing that. We shouldn't necessarily question what God is doing in the world and when we do try to usurp God's power God may redeem us from that he may say okay we're going to redeem the situation but we may still have to live with the consequences of that sin we hear a lot about Lisa's story because Lisa's willing to share it with us and how she lived in places, she lived homeless in the streets of Kankakee and, and all of that. But she also suffers, even though God has redeemed her out of that, she still suffers with some of the repercussions of that. Right? Those things didn't just vanish because God redeemed her out of it. He redeemed her out of those circumstances. She still sometimes has to deal with the consequences. And that may be true for us, too. Have you ever hurt someone's feelings? And you felt really bad about it after the fact, and you went back and you asked them to forgive you, but your relationship was never quite the same? It's maybe not because they didn't forgive you, but it's because... You broke something that couldn't be fixed. You still have the consequence. The good news for you is that God does redeem. He does pull us out of those places. He does move us forward. He does give us back. He does love us even though we mess up. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus re 
moves. The penalty for sin, the everlasting penalty for sin that we would otherwise have. Jesus changes how the penalty of sin is exacted for us. We get to live redeemed lives because Jesus came for us. So what can we learn from Miriam? We learn that maybe sometimes it's not a good thing to rebel against God. And that even though we do do that, God offers us the opportunity for redemption every single time when we ask him for it. As we get ready to celebrate communion,